Good morning, Crossbridge. Great to be with you. My name's Pastor Jeff, and we are doing a series in 1 Thessalonians called The Handbook for Believers. Today the topic is the second coming of Christ. That's part of our handbook. It's part of our basic, you know, instruction on discipleship. So let's begin with a quiz on the second coming. Number one, the Bible states when Jesus will return, true or false? Number two, when Jesus returns, he will bring judgment, true or false? Number three, When Jesus returns, the archangel Michael will issue a loud command. We're going to read the scripture now and see if you can find the answers to these questions. My wife Liz will help us with the scripture. Let's have the uh, gentlemen read the words in white and the ladies read the words in yellow. Everybody, guys, everyone together, men. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, and children... Men, are you with me? <laughs> Did it mess... Is it messed up? Oh, I need to turn <laughs> Aha, gentlemen, (laughs) you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Everybody together. Therefore, Therefore encourage, encourage one, one another and build, build each other up, up just as, as, in fact, you are, are doing. doing. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. May he give us ears to hear. May he give us soft hearts to receive the seed of his word, specifically on the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are the answers to our questions? If I can go backward, does the Bible state when Jesus will return? The answer is basically no, although it it gives some general signs, but it's basically no. 
We'll come back to that in a minute. Number two, when he returns, he will bring judgment. Did you see that in our passage? The answer to this is, uh, yes, it is true, and we'll look at that again. And when Jesus returns, the archangel Michael will issue a loud command. This is actually a trick question, and it's actually from last week, not from this week. Do you remember last week that the, uh, the angel will issue a command, and the trumpet of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise? What, so what is the answer to number three? The answer is actually false, because it does not say Michael. It does say an archangel. So sorry for the trick question. You've got to stay on your toes around here. All right, I'd like to approach this topic, this topic that's in our handbook of discipleship, with a, a very straightforward approach. Let's ask some questions about the second coming and uh, see what the scripture says. Let me point out, first of all, though, that it is found in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It weaves its way through the fabric of this epistle. It belongs in our handbook. You and I may not think about it much, but it's, it's, it's important. It's part of how we make our way through this world. It is throughout the New Testament. Our Lord Jesus in, in Matthew 24 said, All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you remember John 14, the day before, the night before he was crucified, his disciples were mourning. He said, don't, don't be sad. If I go, he said, I, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascended into heaven. He rises from the earth after his death and resurrection and the ascension. And the, uh, the disciples are standing around looking up into heaven like, whoa, what is going on? What happened? And the angel says to them, why are you standing gazing upward? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him go. Uh, jump down to Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. C.S. Lewis said the pages of the New Testament, the leaves of the New Testament, are rustling with the news that he's coming back. It will not always be as it is now. We call this the second advent. All right, let's raise our questions then and see if we can learn about the second coming and how to get ready for the second coming. First question, why will he return? Why is he coming back? What's, you know, what's to be gained? To fulfill prophecy? That is a pretty good answer. And why was it prophesied that he will return? Why is he coming back? He will come to restore God's perfect creation. We sang about that this morning. Did you, did you pick up on that in the songs we sang? No more death, 
No more suffering. No more messed up ecology. No more natural disasters. Salvation was started and ratified and sealed at the cross, and yet the implications are spinning out, aren't they? We are not yet completely saved. We're in the process of being saved, and all of creation is groaning now, (sighs) waiting for that day of redemption. No wonder we always pray, Maranatha, even so come. No wonder we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth, just like it is currently being done in heaven. Why will Jesus return? To vindicate his people. This is judgment on those who reject him. His people are being martyred and persecuted and put down and mocked because he was martyred and put down and mocked. And if they've done that for the master, they'll do that for the disciple. But there's coming a day when he will say, these are my people. I approve of them. Hands off. And he will bring judgment on those who do not believe in him. Why will Jesus return? There's two possible answers. I suppose other ones are also possible. Number two, what will happen when Jesus returns? Those who believe in him will be reunited with Christ and those who have died in Christ. We looked at that last week. Those who are asleep, remember that, that euphemism, that those who sleep in Christ will rise and those of us who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we always be with the Lord. Reuniting. Do you know someone who fell asleep in the Lord, someone who died while believing, someone who was a follower, a believer, a disciple, and died. If you believe in Jesus, there's a great getting up morning coming when we will be reunited with them. You remember last week, a loud command, the voice of the archangel, not necessarily Michael, the trumpet call of God. All of these are associated with divine presence, like on Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses received the law, there was a cloud, there was a trumpet sound. The voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What else will happen when Jesus returns? Judgment. This judgment will be on those outside the church who have rejected the Lord Jesus. It will also be on people within the church. Here's what I mean. On those outside the church, if you react negatively to the idea of judgment, like many Westerners do, 
you probably have not experienced persecution. Here's what I mean. People in other parts of the world, when they hear that Jesus is going to set things right and he will judge and he will put down evil and he will, he will vindicate his people, they feel like, yes! That's what we're waiting for. But right now, the righteous are being persecuted. So if you react negatively to the idea of judgment, I probably have not experienced the context of the New Testament and the context of most of the, or much of the, the other parts of the world today. In any case, the Bible does say he will bring judgment on those outside, those who do not believe in him. But this judgment will also be uh, for people within the church. I don't mean believers within the church. I mean people who come to church. Because Jesus said that right now, the weeds and the wheat are growing up together within the church. And you can't really tell the difference while they're growing. They look, they look pretty much the same. He's talking about unbelievers and believers being mixed and mingled within the four walls of the church. But there's coming a day when he will send his angels to pluck up the weeds so that the wheat can be gathered into the barn. So judgment will occur within the house of God also. Where do you stand on that day? Where will you stand? Jesus used another parable, not just the weeds and the wheat, but uh, he talked about the sheep and the goats. One day he will separate the sheep from the goats. So this judgment will occur outside and inside the church. We see it there in verse 3. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Number three, how will Jesus return? The Bible says unexpectedly, boom, suddenly. At least it will feel that way to us. Boom. Wow, we've been waiting so long, thousands of years, but suddenly, here it is. Unexpectedly and suddenly. The uh, figure of speech he uses is like a thief in the night. Verse 4, you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Have you ever been surprised by a thief? My wife and I lived for many years, a number of years in Portland, Oregon, and one night, uh, we were just a regular neighborhood, just a, you know, a rural or a, a neighborhood within the city, one night, I forgot to close the garage, and the next morning, I came out, and the car doors in, in the, the cars were in the garage were open, and the light was on, and it drained the battery. And I started looking through, and somebody had come into our garage and rifled through. They were they took uh, money out of the center console thing. It was just coins. They took our CD changer thing, you know, out of the middle, and I was like, "What? What?" <laughs> Hi, what? I, I, 
I was surprised (laughs) by a thief in the night. You may say, Pastor Jeff, you left the garage open. You're an idiot. (laughs) If that's what you're saying, I need to talk to you afterwards. (laughs) No, I mean, you're right. I was stupid leaving the garage open. But on the other hand, I mean, someone shouldn't come into my house. Jesus says, it'll kind of feel that way. He's not comparing himself to a thief like he's going to come in and, you know, harm us, but it'll feel sudden and unexpected. What questions come to your mind as you contemplate this, uh, this topic in our handbook of discipleship? I, here's the questions that come to my mind. Maybe, maybe you can identify with these things. This doctrine is strange. This sounds like science fiction. I mean, the dead in Christ will rise first. Like, what, how did, what does that have? What about people that have been dead for 400 years? Like, are their molecules going to be put back? What about people that died at sea and fish ate them? Then they will, dead, they will, they will rise first, and then we who are still here on earth will... Zoop, zoop, I don't know, this is weird. My response, if you respond, if you uh, respond that way, is uh, it is an odd doctrine, but it is part of the core of Christianity. It's part of our handbook. See, the great Christian story is creation, right? Fall, redemption. That's where we are right now. And consummation. And without that final climactic event where he will put down wrong and make all things new and wipe away all tears, it's part of the Christian story. It may seem strange to you, but when you think about it, it sort of has to happen. This return to Eden this returning of all things to the way God intends them to be. Another uh, response uh, may be, uh, we don't know all the details. I don't know how, you know, the dead in Christ and what a fish ate them. And, you know, I don't don't know how all that's going to work. I say we don't know all the details. We actually know very few details of how this is going to work. And so that comforts me when I think about how how strange this doctrine sounds, almost like science fiction. By the way, I suppose that the first advent, you with me, Christmas time? I suppose that seemed really weird also. God becoming a human? An embryo? Born of a virgin? Whatever. And maybe the second coming is similar. We don't know all the details. We don't know many details at all. But it is our blessed hope. Someone says, well, this passage in 1 Thessalonians was given to comfort us, but it's not working. It does not comfort me. 
when I think about the people I love who do not believe in Jesus. My response to this reaction is, number one, I understand. I, I feel the same incongruence and sadness. I, I have loved ones who did not believe in Jesus who died. So I understand. Another response is we don't know the heart. We don't know what spiritual transactions occur, perhaps even in the final breath. We are not judges. And we rest in the wisdom of God. And a final response might be to uh, light the fire of evangelistic zeal. You know what I mean? We've got to tell people. We want them to believe. Because judgment is coming. And so let this, this, this sense of, uh, you know, this question you have and this lack of peace, let it, let it spur you on to spread the word while there's time. Tell people the good news of the gospel. Let me raise another question, which is coming up soon. The question is, the one we've raised already, when will Jesus return? Whenever you find it back there, go ahead and put it up. I'll just continue here. When will Jesus return? People have been naming dates and, and setting, you know, naming dates for, uh, for th- uh, more than a thousand years. They've been naming dates. And so far it hasn't happened, so they've all been wrong so far. Uh, in the 16th century, Melchior Hoffman of the Netherlands announced that Jesus would return in 1533. In the 20th century, Oswald Smith, who is an American pastor, said it will happen in 1933. In 1979, uh, televangelist uh, Pat Robertson said Jesus is coming back in 1979 and he planned to go to Jerusalem so he could uh, broadcast it on TV. He wanted everyone around the world to be able to see it. But does the Bible name a date? No, the Bible says, our Lord says in Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour not even the angels in heaven. Matthew 24, 42, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Matthew 25, our Lord once again, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. The the word that we use to describe this issue of timing the answer to the question, when, the word we use to describe it is imminent. Imminent. I-M-M-E-N-I-N-E, whatever it is. I-M-M-E. 
It's not eminent, it's imminent. What, is, what does imminent mean? It means it's the next thing that's going to happen. It's, it's like on the verge of happening. It does not necessarily mean it will happen quickly. It means it's the next thing. Like the second string quarterback. The second string quarterback's job is to go in when the first string quarterback goes down. Who's the second string quarterback for the Patriots? Say it again. Brian somebody? Okay. Okay. When is he going to go into the game? Well, he doesn't know, but he knows it's the next thing that's going to happen. When Brady goes down or he's exhausted or whatever, boom, he's in. So it is an imminent entrance into the game. It may not be quick, it may not be the whole season, but it's next. You follow what I'm saying? And in this great story, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, this is next. This is next on God's timeline. The second coming is imminent. Next question. How are we doing on the PowerPoint? There, you guys are great. There, there, uh, look at this. Well done. Next question is, um, why is he delaying? What is to be gained by this long thousands of years? That's a good question. The Bible answers our question. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming? But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. <coughs> so what's the, que- what's the answer to the question, why is he delaying? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Yeah, there's a day of judgment coming. He will separate the sheep and the goats. He will uh, pluck up the weeds and gather in the wheat. It will come suddenly, unexpectedly, but currently the program is patience, giving us time. Now, may I speak a word to you as your friend, as your interim pastor? Some of you have grown up in the church. But you don't know where you stand with the Lord. That's understandable. I I get that. He is patient with you. When will you decide? Yes or no? 
I want to be a follower. I don't want to be a follower. The narrow road or the broad road. He's patient. He's hanging on. You've grown up in the church. You have all the advantages and perhaps even a Christian home. Maybe you even go to a Christian school. But it hasn't, you haven't owned it. I understand that. In some ways, I value that. I, I, I get it. You've got to figure things out. But it can't go on forever. You've got to come to a, a decision point somewhere. But thank God in the meantime, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. That answers our question, why is he delaying? Last question. How can we be ready? This is really the title of the whole sermon, isn't it? We finally arrived here. How can we get ready? Two answers. Number one, hope. Hope. These crazy, mixed-up, upside-down, topsy-turvy, backwards world we live in. It's not the final word. He's going to make things right. And even in the midst of our trials now, we, there, there's, a, there's a hope, there's a sustaining strength, there's a faith, there's even in the midst of our pain. Because this is temporary. Live with hope. Live with self-control. He's coming. Be ready. Don't be like the foolish uh, bridesmaids and weren't ready for the, the bridegroom to come. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's imminent. It's the next thing. Live now in light of living then. You are children of the day, light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. That probably means literally, you know, not drunk, but it means more generally uh, in control of ourselves, self-controlled. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Let me see if I can bring those two qualities, hope and self-control, together with a closing illustration. J.R.R. Tolkien knew about these two qualities, and he showed them to us through his beautiful work of fiction, the third of the uh, books of the trilogy called The Return of the King. Do you remember the white city of Gondor? It's an interesting city. It's built on the side of a steep mountain in seven concentric levels, and there's a wall around each level, the white city of Gondor. There is a gate through each wall, as you ascend into the next level. Well, you remember that the evil armies of Mordor, the orcs and trolls under the power of Sauron, 
have besieged and attacked the white city of Gondor. They have broken through the gate of the lowest level and overrun the soldiers. They have broken through the next level and they're going up and up through the city. They have broken through the third and the fourth and they come to the last gate. Do you remember this scene? And Gandalf and little Pippin are huddled on the other side of the gate as a huge troll with a huge hammer, boom, is banging on that gate, breaking it down, boom, and Pippin says to Gandalf, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf says, the end? No, this is not the end. Death is just a pathway that we must all take. He said, but then you see it. Gandalf, what? See what? The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see white shores and a far green country under a swift sunrise. Boom! The pounding continues. And Gandalf gives Pippin a look as if to say, courage now. Do your duty. And Tolkien has captured something for us. Courage, self-control, duty, allegiance, with hope, animated by the promise of God, having put on hope, the hope of salvation, as a helmet. This is what I want for myself. Self-control and hope. This is what I want for you. As you remember, Jesus is coming back. Heavenly Father, help us to live with hope and self-control. Help us to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Through Christ our Lord, amen.